Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Every now and then, Trevor and I receive messages from Talk Travel Asia listeners wanting to share their stories about travel in Asia or sometimes just thanking us for episodes that we had that helped inspire their trip or help them get started and down the right track. So after some recent back and forths that Trevor had with a few of our patrons, those lovely people that sponsor the show each month, wanting to tell us about their Asian adventures, he said, you know what, let's just have them on the show and chat with them about their voyage, how they planned it, and hear from their perspective what their trip was like, rather than it always being from our perspective. So today we're going to do just that. We're going to chat with a lovely woman named Donna about her multi-country trip in Southeast Asia. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates, and with me as always is... Hey, Scott. Trevor Ranges here in Siem Reap, Cambodia. I'm kind of excited to have uh, Donna on the show chatting with her about this idea. She was one of the first uh, listeners that we kind of chatted with about uh, travels. And it just sounded like fun, you know, like she did a three month trip uh, across our neighborhood. And uh, it was their first trip to a lot of these places. And I kind of, you know, I, I spent a lot of time hanging out with people on vacation, people come into the bar, and they've never been here before. And if I got some time off, like, I kind of like, can piggyback on their enthusiasm to, to see something amazing for the first time. So I think, uh, I think Donna's going to have some fun stuff to share with us. Yeah, I hope so. You know, and at first I, I wasn't too sure about this idea because frankly, you don't know, are people going to be able to tell a good story? And we've recorded another one of these and it turned out pretty good. And you mentioned on that episode that, you know, hearing from someone else's perspective is kind of cool. And I'd never considered that, that every one of these episodes is from two guys in their early fifties that don't have kids. And, you know, I'm married, so our travel style is very specific. So um, I'm looking forward to this one. And, and Donna's uh, got a few years on us. And, but I'm, I'm curious about her approach to style or I'm curious about her approach to travel and to hear where they went and maybe why they chose those areas and so forth. But before we get into that, uh, just remember Donna is a patron who are patrons. You say they are people that clicked the donate button on our homepage show, or they went to patreon.com search for the show name and they give us uh, as little as a couple dollars or sometimes quite a bit more than that every month. And it gives them the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing they keep this travel talk going, but they also get a bonus something, something every second week in between these episodes. Sometimes it's a video. And sometimes it's a topical conversation that Trevor and I have. So thanks, Donna, for becoming a patron. So uh, Trevor, any other thoughts before we get into Donna? No, again, uh, thanks, Donna and other patrons. Like, uh, because she's a patron, that's how we got to chat with her. And now we're excited to have her on the show. So let's bring her in. Donna Kitchen and her husband recently returned from a three-month trip through Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, and Gotlanta, Thailand. It was their first trip to all but Thailand, where they traveled previously in 1994. As a couple in their 50s who used the Instagram handle, 
not-so-gray travelers, Donna and her companion traveled as glam packers, using local transport as much as possible. Donna started a blog about her travels, but it never quite got finished, so she's hoping we can help document her adventures on our podcast. Donna joins us from her home in lovely Perth, Western Australia. Hi there, Donna. Hey, how are you going? Going very well, and I'm super happy that Trevor had this idea to connect with some of our patrons, people like you that sponsor the show and uh, keep it going. So actually, before we get into your trip, how long have you listened to this podcast and how did you first find it? Uh, I think I've been listening probably for about only two years. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been going through your back catalog for quite a while. Um, So first of all, knowing that this trip was coming up, my first idea was to search for Laos, Cambodia, sort of, um, podcasts and then you guys came up and that's where I started. Then I, yeah, then started going through the back catalog. Perfect. That's what we like to hear. So you traveled to the region back in 94. Have you always traveled a lot and you've traveled a bit around Asia, but this is kind of something that you never quite got around to? Yeah. Yeah. I first, tra- um, with our family, we always traveled around Australia a fair bit, but then my first travel overseas was to Bali when I- back in the late seventies. So basically Kuta didn't exist. It was only Sanua. So it was just, and I was 14, 15 year old thinking I was hot. And yeah. So then I was lucky to have that. Um, going back years ago with my family when I was younger. And then on our honeymoon, when uh, my husband and I honeymoon would be about 10 years later, um, we went back to Bali again. And again, Kuta, that Kuta area was totally different. Um, we were riding bicycles. There was no water bomb parks. There was no high rise <laughs> shopping centers. We were still able to ride our bikes up and down. Um, jail, Legion and all that. Um, if, if that was early nineties, that would have been when I first went there. So. Okay. Uh, that, yeah. yeah. So you have the kind of, picture. Yeah. I can picture it. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but, uh, I guess you, you mentioned you went to Thailand, but the rest of the region mm. eluded you. What, what inspired this particular trip and, and how did you go about deciding to plan the, the countries that you visited? Yeah. It was just, um, a matter of wanting to go and be adventurous, going, trying to find somewhere different. Like we love the culture of Thailand and knowing that there was still that connection between Laos, Cambodia and Thailand. So, or that whole, um, that Buddhist sort of culture and religion there, sort of that really enticed us and the rawness of the two countries compared to more of the established tourist places was something that we wanted to um, to hook into. So before we get into your actual trip and where you went and what you saw, I'm intrigued by the mm. word glam packers. Can you tell us what does it mean to be a glam packer? <laughs> okay. So being 50 pluses, we're not really wanting right. to stay in backpackers. Um, there's certain reasons, you know, as you get older, you have to get up and down sure. to the loo a bit more often. And so you need a bathroom close by and you just want something, a bed that's not on the floor. So, but we still carry just a, a backpack, two backpacks, basically the small one at the front and a big one at the back, but that 50, 15 kilos carry on to the plane, throw on to the back of the the bus, the train, whatever we're traveling on. Um, but yeah, but still to have a little bit of comfort in the, 
um, where we're staying overnight. So sort of get the pool, get a cold beer and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I like that. And it's kind of the opposite. I've been talking to lots of young travelers and mm. they don't care about their accommodation at all because they only go there to like pass out like at some yeah. point in the evening, right? Yeah. But yeah. like as you get older, you appreciate like the place you stay a lot, a lot more. And you, you're like, Hey, I can afford uh, some nice towels at my resort. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So for this trip, uh, who, who did you travel with? It was just you and your partner. And, uh, did you each pick a place? What was your itinerary? Um, so yeah, it was my husband and I. So we'd be married. 37 years. Um, and we both love traveling. We love the same type of travel. So we knew Vietnam was going to be the start, but then with just still coming out of pandemic and visa problems and all that, we were unsure how long we'd be able to spend there, but it, which ended up only being a month because Australians were only still able to get a month visa. So we started in Ho Chi Minh. And then spent the months traveling all the way up to Hanoi. Hanoi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but we did that basically on buses, trains. We only, there was only one plane that we took and that was from Ho Chi Minh to Da Nang. Everywhere else we took buses, overnight trains. So we did it like that backpacker style. Was that just was that just because of the budget, or do you enjoy that slow pace of travel? Is there yeah. is there a reason you enjoy traveling like amongst the people? Or Absolutely, that's where all the the good stuff happens. <laughs> yeah, that's where you, know, where you you know come across that weird and wonderful something. Somebody who sells something amazing that you never oh, would have found, right? Yeah, and you you see the the back streets, you see the. You see this, you can smell, you know, what's going on. You're sort of on the, the train and the trolley's going up and down, you know, and rattle, 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 you know. So, yeah, and you get to speak to locals that way as well. Rather than being on a plane where it's so sterile, you go on the local bus. Well, probably not the local bus. It was more a tourist bus, but the local trains and that. Yeah, you're sort of amongst, you know, everyone else going about their daily life and you get to experience their life for a little nth of a second. So where else in Vietnam do you, you made yourself from Ho Chi Minh to Hanoi? What were a couple of the key highlights along the route? So, yep, yeah, to Da Nang. And then we then from Da Nang went up to mm -hmm. uh, Hoi An and Hue from there. So we did the mm -hmm. Pai Ban Pass um, when we were sort of in that region on the on a motorbike. We did that ourselves. Then we went to an overnight train to Nimbin to Tam Kok, or so to Nimbin, but we stayed in Tam Kok. Um, and we stayed there and then got rained out. So we went up to Hanoi and did the Ha Young loop. And then by the time we came back to Hanoi, the weather had cleared and we went back to Tam Kok because it's only a couple of hours by bus. So we were very flexible. So we had a basic outline, what we wanted to do. Um, but you know, we were like, that was what, maybe six places in a month. So, yeah, we That's did slow, slow travel. Mm, yeah. Mm, you know, mm. I'm, I'm curious to hear what your impressions of Nimbin are just because people keep mentioning it often to me. And I always think of Nimbin in Australia, which is like just near Byron Bay there. There's a Super Nimbin, which is kind of like a, a hippie kind of, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, but I, I, I've never been to the Nimbin in Vietnam. But I remember before we, uh, we got you on the show here when we were chatting a bit. You mentioned that you went to a rocket festival 
in Vang Vieng. And, and mm. Scott and I both have had like going to a rocket festival in, in Isan or in Laos as like a, a bucket list item. What was that like? Where did you go for that experience? And, and yeah, happened? that was just being at the right place at the right moment. You know, you could not have planned it because there's no set date a rocket festival happens because it's about the first rains that happen, that come upon, you know, the first rains that come. So we just happened to be in our hotel and started talking to a few other people. And they're saying, oh, the rocket festival is on the rocket. And we're going, what, 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 what? And so it was just word of mouth. And then that was going to be the day after we found out about it. And then we just then spoke to our hotel where we were staying and the, the lovely owner or manager of the hotel, local guy, he actually drove us out there that day because it was about oh probably 20Ks out of Vang Dieng out sort of near one of the Blue Lagoons out that way. And it was unbelievable. It, it was the highlight of our trip in that it was still raining. Um, it was a mud fest. There was It was something you'd see in one of those, you know, the, the 1960s, you know, festivals or something, you know, we're all rolling in the mud and all that. It was like very much like that. We had like, um, and as we we're heading there, there would be like the big, um, utes, big, yeah, like big utes. And they'd have the, the homemade rockets tied to the top. And the rockets would be primarily made out of blue PVC water pipe, um, of different diameters and different lengths, and then they'd have bamboo and whatnot attached to it, they would be, the people would, or the guys would often dress up as women as well and, like, have their face all done. They already were into the beer lao, um, absolutely, <laughs> definitely into the beer lao, singing, had the boom boxes going on the way out, like big yoo-hoo-hoo. Um, so we get out there, it's just a big market festival, there's food, there's music, and then there's the area where they set up the rockets. So there's people just turning up all the time with their rocket. And then there's some sort of system of registration. We couldn't (laughs) quite work it out. And there's a scoring system for trajectory and height and I've got a photo of it. My husband took a photo of the um, the judges panel of um, like the different trajectories and all that, and they were being scored. Um, but when they went off, because they were do- when they were there, once they got to the location, they would then shove it with sticks full of gunpowder, like yeah, for the rockets. So it'd be like shoving, shoving, like exactly, exactly. Yeah. So they'd be shoving it full, and you know there'd be the gunpowder, you know, floating around everywhere. You know, no, um, no safety. <laughs> there was definitely no safety going on at all. Um, and then they, the really big ones would be tied to like a ramp, um, a vertical ramp, and they'd be sort of tied onto that. And then they would light the fuse and run I'm like hell. Run. <laughs> and these things you'd, you'd wait for the, and it'd go kaboom and it would just, it was just something out of this world watching these yeah. these rockets go off. There was some that we had one that was filmed that um, someone filmed that explo- imploded basically. It sort yeah. of it blew horizontally out and like the crowd. Any alcohol involved? 
anywhere. Ooh, lots of alcohol. <laughs> lots of beer lao. Lots of beer lao. <laughs> he like cases of it. <laughs> Absolutely. And as the day got longer, the um the Music party too. They have all sorts of like they have like Ooh. beauty pageants and buffalo oh. shows and stuff, don't they? I think there's a oh. lot of events surrounding the the rockets themselves. Yeah, well. yeah. And it was a good way to actually be amongst um, the locals because they were like all free and happy and boozed up, um, and you know just welcomed you into their their festival. That you know what was happening with them at the time, and the music just got louder as the day got on, and we ended up having like um, big thick wads of mud stuck to the bottom of our sneakers and. Like so, we're walking on this platform of mud by the end, and then. But we thought by the time as dusk came, we thought we're out of here because that's when it's going to get ugly. And you know, so we just then got on the back of a trailer and a boombox, and you know, partied on out of there, <laughs> and then got got back to our hotel. Yeah, once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, if you get the it's chance, pretty you've slick. Got to do it's it. been high on my list. So, how long did you spend in Laos, and what was maybe another highlight of your time in that country? We were probably there about a month, so away three months. So we had basically a month in Vietnam, a month in Laos, and a month in, or maybe three weeks in Cambodia, something like that. Yeah. So um, there was Luang Prabang, which was definitely one of our favourites. We absolutely loved Luang Prabang. That's sort of, if it wasn't a landlocked country, it'd, it'd be one of those places we would we could probably hmm. put down digs there. Yeah. It was yeah, loved it, loved the vibe of Luang Prabang. So that was mainly it. We were going to head further north up to, I, I'm, I'm going to get the pronunciation incorrect, but I think Nong Kwai up towards the Mekong, okay. you guys would know. But that was about it. And then from there we flew to Siem Rep, which we didn't, we were not there long enough. You know, we were there about five days and three days of those were spent around the, um, you know, the Angkor Wat temples. So we did a two-day organised tour only because um, we put, we don't do organised tours. We we do the research and go off and do it ourselves normally. But with this um, situation, we knew there was a lot of information that um, we needed to know about each temple. So it's important to go with a guide to learn all that information. Um, so we had the two-day formal tour then the third day we went back and um, revisited our favorites in um, temples i'm glad to hear you say like five days wasn't enough because you know in my tour days where i owned a company people are always trying to do it in three and i'd say you know stay four or five and it's interesting you even didn't find five enough no no we like there was so much more to do um but between arriving and departing and the the three days doing the um, Angkor Wat, you know, temple area, we missed heaps. We, we know All that. Right. Yeah. So then, what's uh, when do you think you might return to the region, and and what's kind of your bucket list for for coming back? Um, we have plans to probably go back in a year to do a similar trip, but longer this time. We're heading toward, my husband's heading towards retirement, so we can sort of take the longer trips um, and head off for four or six months and do that northern Vietnam, northern Laos, um, go back down to Cambodia and down to um, um, and the 4,000 Islands and all that region, and we want to do the Thaket 
um, motorbike loop because we did the Belevin one last time, but we want to do the Thakek one next time and do another motorbike loop um, out of near Hajiang, up north of sort of north of that area. Um, but then go into northern Thailand into that, um, you guys talk about a lot, that Isan area. Yeah, that sort of area and sort of discover more of that northern Thailand rather than where we went before many years ago, which was Chiang Mai and Chiang Rai. Um, but sort of not necessarily go back there, but go to more areas that off the beaten path again yeah, a little bit yeah, to try yeah, and explore yeah, yeah, try yeah, and discover stumble yeah, across yeah. another uh, festival perhaps well <laughs> donna know. like uh if you have any videos of some of those uh, rockets going off or some photos that you can share with the other listeners and perhaps inspire them to follow in your footsteps a little bit that would be great and mm. uh, we could share those on the we can share those on the website show notes I do have one more question about motorbikes. You've mentioned motorbikes so often. So you and your husband, are you each driving mm. your own? And is this like the equivalent of what we'd probably call a scooter in your country or my country, like a 110, 125 cc bike? And like, do you have your licenses? And how did you go about ensuring you were traveling safely and all that? So yes, we rode mainly those scooter, like the, the yep. hon- like the click, mm. like the Honda click or like but that. That sort of, that was style was perfect for both of us. Not too big, but it had enough to get us around. And when we were in Ho Chi Minh, our very first job we did was went and bought ourselves our own helmets. Uh, and we carried them around for three months. I've brought mine home because it's actually Australian standard. So we knew that we had good quality helmets all the way through and we used them even. We have a couple rules when we ride. No more than one beer, <laughs> and we don't Very ride at rules. night. <laughs> you know, we try not to ride in the rain, but sometimes in Asia it's hmm. hard to avoid that. Well, we've just kind of touched the surface on so much of this. I hate to – I'm not going to use the word favorite, but when you look back on this entire experience, what's the first thing that kind of jumps out is like, oh, yeah, that was the moment? Definitely the Hajiang Loop, northern Vietnam. Yeah, we did that as easy riders. Oh, we no. didn't ride that ourselves. Um, no, no, only we wanted to get, have the opportunity to get the best opportunity to, to enjoy the scenery. And if you're riding, you don't always get that. So you're sitting on the back? Yeah. Yeah. And we were happy to do that. That was four days, but we still, it was our our private trip though. There was only three of us. It wasn't a big group of 20. Very cool. You've just named a spot that was on my dream list for years. I was supposed to do it in April 2020, and then we mm. all know what happened to the world and it closed down. So the Hatian mm. loop is still um, super high on my list. A must do. How about uh, offering some practical advice? Uh, you know, sometimes that's helpful. Like if someone else wanted to try glam packing a little bit and they needed mm. to bump around uh, Asia, what's the best bit of advice for people uh, like yourselves, let's say from Canada or America, who want to follow in your footsteps? What, what's the top tips? The best thing that we had, um, our best tool, was our mobile phone. And everywhere we went, we got a local SIM card for the three countries that we were in. Um, not Thailand. Um, we didn't sort of really need it there. But in the other three countries, we did. And using the apps for booking for transport using like Grab and using like one to go for um, booking transport, like buses, trains and things like that, using those apps 
um, taking taking advantage of that made everything so much easier, and it all worked. Yeah, just do your research in that, make sure you're sort of not getting ripped off. But those ones were very reliable. Aside from this podcast, any other and those apps which you mentioned, any other sites that you found particularly helpful to help plan a trip? I used TripIt. It wasn't really more a planning thing. It was more a budget. Oh, no, it's called TripCoin, sorry. Um, and to try and keep hold of um, our money, just it, it's a budget. So it, you can put it in like if you're spending a meal, um, spending money on meal or transport, accommodation, flights, transport, whatever, you can put it into the app. So then you can keep hmm. track of where your money's going and how much you're spending. Yeah. We didn't use it 100% of the time. It just, you know, yeah, every little meal we didn't put down, that's just too much. But mainly for the big things like accommodation and flights, it's an easy way cool. to keep track of your budget. Are you able to reveal, do you feel mm. comfortable, like ballpark, what did it cost per day roughly for the two of you to do this kind of trip? It was about 15000 Australian dollars. You'd spend that at home per month, I'm sure. And that included our flights up to the region and back. So they're your, probably your biggest expenses. And we kept our overnight accommodation down to about 70 Australian dollars a night. And we got really nice places for that. All accommodation, no bed bugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for contacting us and sharing your travels. Just because, like, I mean, I wish you – did you try to, to, to contact either of us when you were passing through? It would have been great to have met up uh, on the way. But uh, I hope that inspires some other people too, you know. If we're in the region again, definitely, I'd love to um, catch up. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks a ton, Don. Uh, one, for listening. Two, for being a patron. And three, for taking the time to share with us. It was really fun to hear from a listener and learn about your oh. trip. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful reliving it all again with, with you. Yep. Hey, Scott. I, You know, that was so nice talking with Donna. Like. I, I still almost feel like with a lot of our guests that we were just scratching the surface. Like, mm. you know, I was like, I definitely wanted to talk about the rocket festival. Cause that's something that like I, I wanted to experience and it's great to hear how she experienced it, but I still had like 10 follow-up questions just on the rocket festival, let alone like so many other aspects of her trip. Yeah. I feel this way quite a bit when we record, um, you know, we got to be conscious that these things don't stray into the hour plus zone. But yeah, we kind of glazed over, you know, three, four countries. And like you said, pretty much everything she talked about, I, I wanted to know more, particularly the Hatiang Lu. I thought it was interesting that despite them being drivers, they elected to ride on the back of motorcycles, Pilion, for those four days. And, you know, that's a very responsible, smart decision that I don't think 25-year-old travelers make. And so kudos to them for doing it. And I, I just think it was super neat that they made motorbikes such a big part of their trip. Yeah, you know, and and again, like when you drive, though, like lots of times you got to pay attention. If you're sitting on the back, you mm -hmm. get to enjoy the view, you know, so there's that that kind of benefit as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, not to sound too old or too responsible, but for listeners, do be aware that they'll let you rent a motorbike. Anyone will let you rent it. But, you know, if, if you don't have an actual motorcycle driver's license and something happens, your travel insurance will be void and any insurance that bike might have will be void too. So like now I'm pretty conscious of it. And I think back to the days when I actually always did have a motorbike license, but most people don't. So places will let you rent, but just be aware that, you know, 
yeah, if you don't have that operator's license, like your insurance and your medical insurance is down the drain, but uh, it's certainly an awesome way to get around. Another thing I liked, you know, I've heard of flash packing. I like that she called it glam packing. And she mentioned hmm. they set their hotel limit at about 70 Aussie a night, which is about 50 US. And the fact of the matter is like she mentioned, 50 bucks US a night in most places in Southeast Asia, you know, particularly where she went, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, um, Thailand, like, yeah, you can get a comfy, nice hotel. You actually want to spend some time in and have a swim and all that. It's great value. So I'm glad they did that. Yeah. And, and if you're talking about average though, too, like I bet there's like a bunch of nights that are like, uh, 10 to 20 bucks. Yeah. So that means like they got like a hundred, 150 bucks and other moments, you know, that's one of the things I love about Asia is that like you can, like go local and eat street food and, and, you know, stay in some simple accommodation for like really, really, really cheap. And sometimes that's nice if you can find a good way to do it. And that's the kind of backpacking way. Like sometimes traveling by train is, is nicer than paying for like an ex more expensive flight, you know? Um, but then like that money that you save, you can use to like splurge when let's say you're at the beach and you're like, you know what, let's stay at this like sweet little nice fancy beach resort. Yeah, absolutely. I like. And we didn't get to hear their beach resort story. No, not <laughs> I mean, at all. I guess that's how it ended. I hope. Nor did we get to really hear about their motorcycle loop in Laos, which I believe was just out of Paxé, which makes me think that she heard the story about that from one of our episodes because I think it might have been Nick Ray that was talking about uh, that loop around uh, outside of Paxé on the motorbike. So when she mentioned that, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like. I remember we had that as an episode. So yeah, I thought Donna was a pretty good storyteller for an amateur at this. So well done, Donna. And thank you for sharing your, your journeys with us. Yeah. Again, I wish we could share more, I guess, uh, since she's got some videos and some photos and, uh, maybe we can link to her blog. Maybe that'll help inspire her so that, uh, her future adventures are, uh, better memorialized. Uh, but I guess, uh, I'm glad that we were able to participate in that. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Donna, for sharing your story. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, if you'd like to be on the show because you did some awesome adventure in Asia or, you know, your wife or sister or friend is some sort of expert in something in the region, uh, let us know. We're, we're, we're open to ideas for having people on the show. And uh, as long as it's fun and it's about travel and it's about Asia and other people can get inspired or follow in their footsteps, uh, we're all for it. Yeah. Thanks, Donna. Thanks a ton. Go to notsograytravelers.com. You can see their webpage and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Cambodia? 